Okay, come on back. So uh, during that last sit, as the mucus started to flow (laughs) from my nose, um, it's interesting being up here and having something like that happen. Uh, You know, my initial reaction was, oh, where's the Kleenex, which I didn't see this box. And I'm thinking, okay, I start strategizing. Could I get off this stage and sneak to the back without anybody noticing? No, 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 that's not going to work. And I'll probably worry people (laughs) if I run out of here. You know, can I just snuff it back in? Can I just wipe it away? Can I, you know, what what am I going to do? Ah, this must look disgusting. Ah, you know, and I'm sitting here holding it. Ah, and then the thought occurs to me, what if I just relax around it? I teach that all the time. (laughs) Maybe I'll just do that. Because really, worrying it away isn't working. I'm not going to get up. Um, So what are my options? My options are to sit here and struggle against it and wish it wasn't happening, even though it is clearly happening. Or I can relax with, oh, this is is what's happening right now. Okay, it's uncomfortable. (sighs) I can breathe. That's fine. You know, oh, well... You know, actually, there's a coolness on my upper lip. That's, that's kind of pleasant if I don't overthink it. <laughs> I can really now feel my breath more than before because of that coolness. I can feel the, the coming and going of air at the tip of my nose. Wow, I can actually really stay with that. You know, okay, it's getting a little gross. I'll wipe a little bit. Okay, that's okay. Oh, I can I can really just sit here with this. It's fine. It's actually just fine. And even with the discomfort and the yuckiness factor of it all, it's you know, these little moments in life that we're constantly in contact with that are just, you know, uncomfortable. Going away we wish it wasn't going or you know, just um not how we would be having it when we can relax into them, how we can play with the experience. The moment I thought, oh, maybe I can relax into this. Oh, maybe I can bring attention to this. Suddenly, it's not me against my experience. It's me playing with my experience. Oh, okay, this is what I'm noticing. Huh, that's kind of pleasant. Oh, this feels kind of good. Suddenly, there's a lightness to what's happening. The experience itself didn't change. It, it kept going through the whole sit. But my relationship with it really changed. And I bring this up because it feels very relatable to what I want to talk about this evening. This, this preciousness of life. The preciousness of life, it doesn't just include those incredible sunsets or that amazing conversation with a really good friend. It also includes the, the yuckiness, the, the funkiness of being human when we can just, oh, just be with it. Okay, this is what's happening. And from those moments, just our, perce- our perception changing just a little bit, suddenly we relax into it and the preciousness arises. We're actually present with that preciousness and how that fills us up. It allows us to be so much more available for what's actually here right now. We don't have to miss any of it. This is it. This is what we've got. We don't have to miss any of it. So that's what I want to explore with you this evening. The Buddha talks about the preciousness of life, and he talks about it in several different suttas. And so I I picked two that I thought... um, He's very, he's got really colorful language, the Buddha. He likes to, he's a little dramatic, actually, at times. And I like that it kind of comes forward in these two examples. So the first one, um, he reaches down 
and he he gathers just a little bit of dust in his at the tip of his fingernail and he says which is greater he turns to the monks that are with him which are greater what is greater the little bit of dust i've picked up with the tip of my fingernail or the great earth it's kind of a dramatic thing to say but his monks say well, the great earth is far greater. This little bit of dust the blessed one has picked up with the tip of his fingernail is next to nothing. It doesn't even count. It's, there's no comparison. It's not even a fraction, this little bit of dust that you've picked up with the tip of your fingernail uh, when compared to the great earth. And so he says, monks, in the same way, few are the beings reborn among human beings. Far more are those reborn elsewhere. So in the Buddhist uh, belief system, we come back as possibly many things. Um, so the idea of rebirth. And so in, um, in Buddhism, to be born as a human being is really a precious thing. Think of all the different animals and critters and... Uh, uh, I don't know, m- microbes and all that you could have been. You could have been a mosquito. You could have been uh, plankton. I mean, you could have been many, many different things. But you came back, if you are subscribing to the Buddhist belief, as a human being. Even if you don't think of it in that way as coming back, just take in for the, a moment that you are a human being and not something else. It's actually a really incredible thing. So this life as a human is really precious. He goes on in a, in a different discourse uh, in the same, same way. He says, monks, Suppose that this great earth were totally covered with water and a man were tossed uh, uh, oh, and a man were to toss a yoke. So a yoke, you know, goes around either a, a horse or a, a cow or a bull around the neck to hold something, to pull something, I believe. So you throw this yoke out, um, and it has this single hole in the yoke, and it's thrown out into this ocean that covers the whole earth. And a wind from the east pushes it west, and a wind from the west pushes its east pushes it east, and wind from the north pushes it south, and a wind from the south pushes it north. And suppose a blind sea turtle were there, (laughs) and it would come up to the surface once every hundred years. Now what do you think? Would that blind sea turtle coming to the surface once every 100 years stick his neck up through that yoke with its single hole? What's the probability of that? <laughs> and so he goes on to say, you know, of course, then they're saying, oh, this is such a, it would be a coincidence. It would be, you know, near impossible. And he goes on to say, um, so is to be born as a human being and to be born in a time where these teachings of the Dharma are present. What a blessing. This is a precious, precious human birth. And with that, you should contemplate. He goes on to say the four noble truths. You should contemplate the four noble truths about uh, dukkha and the cessation of dukkha, of suffering and the cessation of suffering, the way leading to freedom. So if these lives are so precious, do we really hold them in that way? Do we really think of them in that way? Do we take them for granted? Do we not even have the opportunity to take them for granted because all we see is the dukkha, the suffering uh, of our life? Is it hard to imagine that this is a precious human life? What gets in the way of seeing these lives as really precious. So I want you to think about it for a moment. What gets in the way of us seeing our lives as precious? And then I'd like you just to turn to the person next to you and share together what is it that gets in your way?
from seeing your life as really precious. And we'll just take a few minutes to do this. If you don't want to, you don't have to. You can just stay quiet and think about it. And otherwise, go ahead and turn to someone next to you. You don't have to know them. You can introduce yourself, say hi, and then share what is it that gets in the way of you seeing your life as precious. So if the other person hasn't shared yet, make sure they have time to. We'll just take another minute. Okay, so why don't you thank the person who just shared with you, and we'll come back as a group. So let's, let's hear some of what you, you came up with. We'll pass the mic so that everyone can hear. Some people might be using uh, listening devices, so this really helps if you can talk into the mic. And we're also recording, so those who aren't here to join us but want to listen later, it's helpful. What did you, what did you come up with? Yeah, right here. Yeah, thank you. Where was it? We both had the same thing. So um, it it was the brain's negativity bias. Oh, the brain's negativity bias. Right. We're kind of, we are wired, they say, to be looking for what's wrong, what's wrong. It's part of our survival mechanism. And we have to sometimes, uh, some of us aren't as wired as, as others, but for the majority of us, we have to really train our mind to be looking for the positive, huh? Yeah, negativity bias. Uh-huh. What else? Yeah, uh-huh. I hate silence, so. Um, <laughs> I said fear and greed. Fear and greed gets in the way. Yeah. Any anything more specific, or that's just what pops in your I'm mind? looking for work, uh-huh. and so so oh, I'm yeah. I'm really struggling. Uh, as I told Monica, like of doing this kind of thing for the last couple of years, this meditation thing to what I've learned about myself, and and matching that with now being at a juncture where I'm looking to do a career change and it's mm. it's uh it's it's it was my meditation theme like mm. and so yeah i realized like i have a lot of fear that yeah. keeps me from like really focusing on you know what is precious to me yeah. instead of just how do i make a living yeah yeah thank you fear for sure fear is it has this ability of of shrinking our view. We get really tight and our view gets kind of, we get that tunnel vision on our life and we miss the fullness that is, it's there. It's, it is there. We kind of know it, right? But it's hard to really open up to it when we are, we are in that fear place. Yeah, that certainly gets in the way. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And then right behind here. One thing I felt very shrinking was physical pain, where it is just difficult to get beyond the body and the the part of the body that's in such pain. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to be grateful and hard to be joyous. Yeah. Chronic, is this chronic pain also? It it was um, pain on a nerve. Mm, mm. Yeah, yeah. Physical pain, physical discomfort, illness. Absolutely. He's getting in the way. Yeah, hi, me over here. Um. 
I don't, I don't know if you've heard of uh, Bill Moyers, but he had a six. Um, uh, um, um, okay. <laughs> um, he had a, a a bunch of people who were dying, mm. and um, he asked them whether they uh, would they take their lives because they were so in so much pain, or just go to the end of of being dead, mm-hmm. and. It took um, over like maybe six months to a year for this to happen, and uh, everybody in the beginning said, "No, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna take myself because it's so painful." Mm-hmm. And in the end, nobody wanted to, uh, nobody mm-hmm. wanted to take their lives, and they all ended in, um, in the end. And so, uh, it was an interesting story about how people really cherish their lives, even though they're. Um, in pain and whatever. Yeah. So, right. Thank you. It's possible. I mean, it doesn't always feel like it. I think when we're when we're experiencing that, or if we're witnessing it in another person, thinking, how can they keep going? Do we want them to keep going? Um, it seems like those two things they don't coincide somehow. The incredible dukkha and. Um, the preciousness of life and really feeling that and wanting to, to really be there for it. But it's possible. It is possible. But it's, yeah, it's uh, not, always, uh, not always possible, maybe. Not in every moment for most of us. Yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you for, um, for sharing what, what, you, what you came up with. Um, there were a few things, thank you for passing that. There are a few things that, as I, when I reflected on that question, that came to mind. Um, and the first one, yeah, it's just this dukkha, you know, and the way it manifests. Um, so one of the ways in which it manifests are, in a way that's kind of easy to track in some, some ways, uh, are the hindrances when we're in that experience of of uh, wanting something we don't want, not wanting what is here, uh, when we are feeling restless and um, anxious or really worried about something, uh, it's hard to connect with that preciousness of life. Uh, when we are um, kind of tired and disinterested, we're bored. We're, you know, just not really in it. Um, maybe there's a little bit of depression in there too. Yeah. Uh, when we are full of doubt, whether we even uh, belong here, whether we're worthy enough, are we really worthy of this precious life or to be precious? Um, how many of you at, at some point in your life have experienced that, that questioning of, of your own worthiness? Yeah, yeah. I listened um, over the last weekend, I was teaching with uh, a teacher who mostly is on the East Coast, um, Afosu Quincy Jones, sorry, Corte Jones, and he um, did this beautiful uh, reflection that I'd love to do with you right now um, on the topic of worthiness. So if you just close your eyes and take a, take a deep, full breath into this body. Feel that breath. You can even put a hand on your chest to feel the inhale and exhale. And reflect on the fact that if you were not meant to be here in this moment, you would not be breathing. You would not be taking in breath. That you have every right to be here. You are completely worthy of being here. If you were not meant to be here, you wouldn't breathe anymore. Someday that will be true. And then while you're here, you can take your hand and feel your heartbeat. 
And it's the same reflection. As you feel your heart beating, you can trust that you are meant to be here in this moment. Every bit of you. The universe, in many ways, doesn't care about all those things you feel may not make you worthy. If you weren't meant to be here, your heart would stop beating, and someday it will. Someday that will be true, but in this moment, it's not. Such a beautiful reflection, I thought. So maybe some of you feel that. So this worthiness, um, lack of love and acceptance within ourselves. And in that, there's a sense of, there's actually a, a selfishness. There's a meanness. Me, me, me. Um, uh, we start to see that come up oftentimes when we're not connected with just the, the pure simpleness of the preciousness of being here, of being in this human life. Uh, when we're not connected with it, yes, there's, there's some selfishness. There's some, something going on there that's connected to our disconnect. We're so self-involved in our own drama, perhaps, that we're disconnected with the larger truth of just how it is right now and how wonderful, or maybe it's not wonderful, but precious. Precious and wonderful, those could be different things, I think. And the other thing is this idea of tomorrow. We get so wrapped up and busy that we just kind of forget. We lose track of the preciousness of this life. I was listening today uh, to NPR, and um, there was, uh, with a perspective, some of you may have heard this one, This is uh, by Nate Lee, and it speaks to this. It's called One Day. He says, every week I go to the gym with Edvin. Over the past year, I've developed a routine. Edvin's wife will pull up to the curb, and he'll open the door. Face the curb, left foot down, right foot down, stand up straight, right foot onto the sidewalk left foot onto the sidewalk. Two years ago, Edvin was attacked and suffered severe brain damage. Doctors didn't think he would live, but he did. Then they said he would never walk, but he did that too. Before he got hurt, Edvin played semi-pro soccer, running, jumping, and doing backflips. These days, our celebrations are rather mundane in comparison. Last week at the park, Edvin jumped, or Edvin stood up on one foot for two seconds today. The humor that Edvin and I share is often bittersweet. I'm getting fat, he'll joke. Yeah, when are you going to get that six-pack back, I'll ask. One day, he says. He says that sometimes. When we watch people lifting weights, he'll point at them. One day... When, when are you going to do a backflip again, Edvin? One day. Most weeks I don't really think about these things, about Edvin laying in a coma or relearning how to walk and swallow or how long it will take for him to play soccer again. Usually all I think about on Fridays is how early I have to wake up and whether or not Edvin is learning, leaning too far to his left when he walks. But every once in a while I step back and I think about the man in front of me and it hits me. What a miracle it is to simply walk, breathe, and swallow. What a joy it is to be alive. But those moments fade and eventually I get back on the eternal treadmill of to-do lists and emails and somehow creating more clutter, trying to unclutter my life. I hope that one day I'll be able to find joy in every step to celebrate things like standing on one foot for two seconds, to be present to every one of God's miracles. I hope one day I am as alive as Edvin is. One day. With a perspective, I'm Nate Lee. 
And that's, that's kind of it, isn't it? We just don't really think about it most of the time until something brings it to our attention. Suddenly we're woken up, and it's usually uh, by things that uh, take us off guard. You know, we come in contact with the truth of, of our aging or with illness or with death or all three of those things in the face of someone we care about, someone uh, in front of us. Maybe it's not our life, it's theirs, but it is a mirror to us of the preciousness of our life. The reason I wanted to talk and, and really was thinking about this particular theme was uh, spending time with a dear friend over the weekend who had, uh, for a, the, a period of about six hours, um, went through uh, something that they haven't been able to fully explain, but was had lost her short-term memory. And I happened to be with her during this time uh, while we were waiting for the paramedics to come because we didn't know if she had had a stroke or was having a heart attack or something was certainly up. And so I was with her. And about every five minutes, she would ask me, okay, Kate, how did we get to this point? Why are we concerned what's going on? And she knew enough that something was wrong and that she had no control over it. And those two things, that something was wrong and that she had no control over it, it was like I was watching her every five minutes live out a nightmare. And it is. It's kind of, it's our nightmare that something like that would happen, that it would be permanent, which for her was not. I'm very happy to say um, that she's doing much, much better now. But in that moment of watching her and her fear, and I was heartbroken, but staying with her and present and, and trying to hold the situation best I could, um, just coming in contact with the fragility of our mind, uh, this is, you know, the fragility of our minds, the fragility of these bodies. Uh, we don't always get to be in contact with that. Some of us do more than others. Some of you may really be in contact with that these days. It might be very present for you. And then others of you, maybe you don't have to think about it that much, not in a real personal way, until you do, and you will. Someday you will. Part of this practice of freeing the heart and mind is coming into contact with those truths of impermanence and the preciousness slash fragility of this life. It's precious and it's fragile. It's, it's because it's fragile in some ways, that's what makes it precious. This is a, a quote from... Uh, John O'Donohue, whose poems I've read often, I love him as an author and a poet. And this is, um, I don't know which book this comes from, but um, this is from one of his books. We live between the act of awakening and the act of surrender. Each morning we awaken to the light and the invitation to a new day in the world of time. Each night we surrender to the dark, to be taken to play in the world of dreams where time is no more. At birth, we were awakened and emerged to become visible in this world. At death, we will surrender again to the dark to become invisible. Awakening and surrender. They frame each day and each life. Between them, the journey where anything can happen, the beauty and the fragility. And that's it. And when we're in touch with that, it doesn't have to be gloomy and depressing, although we can find ourselves there. And when we do, there's, there's that selfing is somewhere in there. I promise it's in there. But when we're free of that and we can be with the truth of this fragility and the beauty and the preciousness, it's not gloomy at all. It's so inspiring it can wrap us up in a way uh, that allows us to uh, feel a freedom to be present because we value it so, so much. 
Here's another. I'm just full of poems and stuff to read you tonight. Here's another one. This is Mary Oliver. Um, it's called A Summer Day. Who made the world? Who made the swan and the blackbird? Sorry, the black bear. Who made the grasshopper? This grasshopper, I mean. The one who has flung herself out of the grass. The one who is eating sugar out of my hand who is moving her jaw back and forth instead of up and down, who is gazing around with her enormous and complicated eyes. Now she lifts her pale forearms and thoroughly washes her face. Now she snaps her wings open and floats away. I don't know exactly what a prayer is. I do know how to pay attention, how to fall down into the grass, how to kneel down in the grass, how to be idle and blessed, how to stroll through the fields, which is what I have been doing all day. Tell me, what else should I have done? Does anything die at last and too soon? Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? It just speaks to uh, the inspiration, not necessarily to lay in a field all day and look at grasshoppers, but to pay attention Everything becomes precious. The runny nose becomes precious. Watching, you know, people watching um, as you're sitting there uh, at a Starbucks or something. Um, uh, When you're standing in line at the grocery store, the people who are checking everybody out and their interactions with everyone become so precious. Your breath becomes so precious. Each breath becomes so precious, but only when we're oriented in this way. I'll take you through another experiential practice. and This one, I think, has been done by James here before. Some of you might be familiar with it. But all I want you to do is to be as relaxed as you possibly can. Let your eyes close and bring your attention to your breath. And breathe in a way that is soothing. So it might be that you breathe a little bit deeper or it might be that you breathe a little bit quieter. And on this next inhale, be with it as if it might be your last inhale. Feeling every single sensation And then on the exhale, being with every single sensation as if it was the last. And then there's that pause in between before you inhale again. And then you do. But maybe it's not so expected, taken for granted. Notice if you get tight around wanting to keep that breath. See if you can relax a little bit more. Let the body breathe how it needs to breathe. You're just watching it. You're just observing. But you're doing so with this very tender, intimate attention. Feeling the preciousness of each breath. It's not so boring anymore. It's not so mundane. So you're welcome to stay with that breath as I continue on a little bit longer. This is a wonderful practice to bring in, especially if you're losing track of that preciousness in your practice. The practice is getting a little dry, disconnected. Another practice that you might consider are the five recollections. And these are really meant to keep us in contact with the reality of 
the fragility and the beauty of the, this mind and the body. How precious is that? <laughs> So the five reflections are, the first one, I am of the nature to grow old. I cannot avoid aging. The second is, I am of the nature to become ill or injured. I cannot avoid illness or injury. The third is, I am of the nature to die. I cannot avoid death. The fourth is, all that is mine dear and delightful, will change and vanish. All of it. The fifth is, I am the owner of my actions. I am born of my actions. I am related to my actions. I am supported by my actions. Any thoughts, words, or deeds I do, good or evil, those I will inherit. So a little bit about this. So the first three are very much related to the heavenly messengers. The Buddha lived this very posh life before he was the Buddha. (laughs) Um, When he was Siddhartha, um, a great prince in India, Uh, he lived a very lavish lifestyle and knew nothing less. His father, the king, made sure of it that he was actually contained within the walls of the palace and that he wouldn't experience, essentially, uh, old age, sickness, injury, and death. That those were not part of his experience. The flowers uh, that were um, decorating the hall would be taken away before they shriveled up and started to wilt. Um, anybody who was ill would be taken out of view and immediately removed out of the palace. This was just the way it was. And there's more to that story, but I won't go further into it. But it's, a, it's kind of fascinating. This is where he started. It's a real life of tremendous privilege. And then on this fateful day, he decided he wanted to leave the palace. And so he took someone with him, I think it was a servant, took a servant with him to show him what was this world outside of the palace. He wanted to know. And so as he went out into the street, he encountered these heavenly messengers. And so he saw someone who was old. He didn't even know what it was when he saw it. And the attendant had to say, well, that's someone who's old. (laughs) They're just old. And then he encountered someone who was sick. And he said, well, what is that? He didn't even know what that was. That's someone who was sick. And he noticed then someone who had died, someone who had died and was in, on the side of the road. Well, what is that? Well, that's death. That's someone who has died, passed away. This just blew his mind. And, and I can only imagine just shattered his reality. And in a way, these messengers, that's what they do when they visit us in our life. We're not that sheltered. But in certain ways, we can keep ourselves ourselves away from these truths until we come face to face with it. And it just shatters or it shakes our foundation of what we think is supposed to be happening. You know, when we lose a dear person or when we get our own diagnosis and all of a sudden, oh, I thought I had more time. I thought this was going to go such a different way. And here it is. We're just shaken to the core. It goes right to the core of us. And so the last messenger was someone who was... uh, practicing in the holy life. It was someone, I don't, uh, I imagine in robes and, um, and practicing some form of meditation. And so he realized that in order to make sense of all of this, he needed to go out into the world and be more in contact with these truths and find freedom 
through these truths. And that's what he did. He left the palace, and that's what he did. So these first three recollections, I am of the nature to grow old, I am the na- of the nature to become ill or injured, and I am the nature to die. Um, it's us coming into contact with this and keeping it in our consciousness on a daily basis. The fourth one, uh, the truth of separation. That everything that is dear to us, uh, we will be separated by, either through our own death or through the comings and goings of those things or the death of the people we care about. Coming in contact with this truth not being so shaken by it, not being so thrown, seeing that there's actually a gift in knowing that. And part of that gift, it's not only the preciousness, but it's what we do with the preciousness. And that's this fifth one. Understanding that our actions, that our thoughts, words, and deeds, whether they're good or evil, those I will inherit. And so what do we choose It becomes so obvious when we hold our life in this precious way that how we're going to live our life has to be in alignment with wholesomeness and goodness, with being in harmony with other people, being in harmony with ourself. Um, For those of you who are interested in or practicing the Buddhist path, Um, you might be using that right now as a way to really navigate life in this very precious way, seeing that we don't have any time to spare. It is right now, and here's a way to actually do it. Um, Some of you might have other ways of navigating, other spiritual beliefs or ritual or just ways of being that you hold very precious and dear that are very much in alignment with this. All of this is really great and something to not take, take for granted, but to focus on, allow it to be a focus of your presence and of your meditations. So maybe I'll stop there. So we have a little bit of time for... Um, questions or comments, um, I'd love to open it up and just hear what your thoughts are on it. And we'll pass the mic around again. I know I didn't cover everything in this topic. It's a huge topic. It's one that could be contemplated truly for your lifetime um, and is really at such a foundational place of, of going forward in a spiritual practice. So let's let's hear what's on what's on your mind about this or if you have questions. <laughs> I'm always struck by how you approach this and um because you know, like the first three, you're you're talking about suffering. You know, you really are. It's real suffering, and and it's in in a lot of time. A lot of people will say, "Well, oh, that's just being negative. Why should I even think about that?" <laughs> and yet, you're you're presenting it as an opportunity, really, to see life's preciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's it's always seems like a dichotomy to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but it's true. <laughs> it is. It's it's an absolute gift if we can see it in that way. And it's not to color everything rosy. You know, it's actually to come fully in contact with the dukkha, with the stress, the suffering, all of it, to really be there, seeing, you know, how much of this am I just putting on myself? It's not so necessary. I can put that down. Oh, this is a little lighter. Oh, yeah, this body, it it hurts, it aches, it's painful. Is there anything else available to me that has allows me to hold it? Oh, I can actually walk through my day and be present with another person or help another person who's in pain or be empathetic to others who are experiencing the same thing. 
You know, there's all of these different ways, different approaches. Because we do, if we know it, we have a choice. We can just sink into the dukkha and think, well, that's it. Life is dukkha. <laughs> sometimes the, the first noble truth uh, that there is suffering, sometimes it gets misunderstood as that, that life is suffering. And that's not actually that first teaching. It's that there is suffering, that that's part of the truth. And it's when we come in contact with that that we start to see, oh, the preciousness of when we can either just hold that suffering and relax in it, be able to be with it. We feel our own inner resilience. Oh, that's really precious. To be able to empathize with others who are suffering, very precious. To experience those moments where the suffering isn't there, wow, it's, it's incredible. And that would go straight by us probably otherwise. So, Jackie, just right over to your left here. I struggle sometimes to get in touch with metta, and uh-huh. what came up as you were talking about it was how, uh, how what a lovely door into metta it is to mm. consider um, the preciousness of, of, of life. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it can fill us up when we look at it from that angle just can fill us up. How precious. When I think of my friend who was going through this absolute nightmare, there's no way of glossing that over. It was such a nightmare for her to not know what was happening and for that reset every five minutes of memory, just being lost. Um, But to be the one who was sitting with her and feeling, I get to be here for her, and the preciousness of that. And all there was was there was concern, certainly. There was fear, absolutely. But there was so much metta. And you know, I was feeling it. Um, she doesn't remember it, but it was incredible. She would kind of snap out of it every once in a while and lean forward and say, Thank you so much for being here. That, thank you so much for taking care of me. And then we'd kind of go back into the confusion. And she did that maybe five or six times. Just like burst out in this, with this gratitude and this real feeling of metta. And we would just meet each other there. <laughs> and then it would go back to the chaos of it all. That's, it's just incredible. So it's, these lives are really incredible how they weave the, the, the dukkha and the beauty. It's all together. Both are there. Yeah, Jim. And maybe we'll end it with with your comment, Jim. I've been, I guess, blessed to live a relatively pain-free life most of the time. But this weekend I was visiting with my sister, and she and her husband visited, invited me to go play pickleball with him, which is sort of a badminton with a wiffle ball and a hard wood paddle. And I was playing, and I forgot that I was old for a minute. And reached too hard and, and oh. got a fairly bad pull of my, on my yeah. calf muscle. And uh, for the next couple of days, this is just last Sunday, I was walking around with trekking poles and, I mean, really, really, really slow. I mean, like, this, I could have been on retreat, I guess. And um, I was noticing how in the pain, it's really, really exhausting to be in severe pain. Really, really difficult. I had to actually do a lot of walking, as it turned out, and it was, <laughs> it was super hard and, and really painful. And sometimes it was okay. And then there'd be a gap in the pain. There's you know a period when I could relax and I wasn't pain. I go, wow, this is life is just really pleasant when there's no pain, isn't it? <laughs> so why don't I just enjoy my left legs when my right leg is? You know, <laughs> And I kept, I, for, so for a while, especially Sunday and Monday when it was super painful, there'd be these gaps of like I'd sit down and get off my leg and go, wow, it just feels so good to <laughs> just escape this pain for a moment. And then I got so that I could, I'd be walking along and go, okay, so it is really, you know, this is, this is life, this is a good lesson, I'm learning my age, I'm, 
I'm, you know, and I, I do. Okay, my left leg is working good. You know what? The rest of my body is working really pretty good. Well, my arms are going to get sore because I'm using my arms with the poles. Mm-hmm. And that's okay because that'll go away also. And then I was, today I was, it was getting just gradually better. And I was walking like really almost like meditation <laughs> retreat, kind of walking, just that slow walking of, okay, so if I just really careful and really pay attention, I can just move in just the right way so that it doesn't quite hurt. Oop, there I didn't do it quite the right way. Mm-hmm. And just, just playing with the pain and the, and the pleasure that's sort of in between the, the pain. Yeah. And it was kind of like, well, life is it's just all interesting and, um, and it's so good to not be in pain like yeah. all the time. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's, that's a beautiful example. Thank you. Okay, so we are at time. So I'd like us to spend this last bit of time uh, dedicating the merit. And the dedication of merit really is a time to uh, acknowledge the wholesomeness and the goodness of coming together in this way and practicing in this way, listening and contemplating the Dharma. And so, you know, we we come into this practice or we come here for the evening, uh, oftentimes for our ourself and for our own benefit. But the truth is that when we do practice in this way and, and we maybe deepen just a little bit more our understanding or we get a little more curious about the practice, it has a tremendous benefit that's not just for us, but it goes out into the world. It affects the people we interact with. It affects our loved ones, our co-workers, uh, just the people we interact with on a day-to-day basis, the people in our communities. Uh, it has a ripple effect. And it has a ripple effect that goes out into the world in ways that we don't even understand. And so in that spirit, we dedicate uh, the merit to all beings, to all beings everywhere. May all beings be safe in their, from inner and outer harm. May all beings be happy and content in their lives. May all beings be healthy in their mind and in their body. May all beings be free. May we all be free. Thank you for your... Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.